Hey, you're listening to Sean of the South. And this music that you're about to hear behind us is Haywire Bluegrass Band. Haywire Bluegrass, everybody. Sweet talk me down, baby. Toss me Georgia writes, Dear Sean, I'm about to get married to a Southern belle through and through. She is the epitome of Southern belleness, if that's a word. What should I know before getting married to my Southern belle? Dear Curtis, thank you very much for writing me. You have done the right thing writing, writing to me because I know absolutely nothing about this. But in the interest of brotherhood, I have compiled a short list for you to take, to take note of. Uh, my, my wife, Jamie, and I have spent several years together and I have been training under her tutelage for a long time. I'd like to share some tips. I'd like to share some tips. Number one. Number one. Even if your southern wife appreciates you, try. You should know. You are far too simple-minded to wash the dishes correctly. In fact, in fact, you shouldn't even make an ice cube without the recipe because you are incompetent. Loading residential dishwashers is only to be done by card-carrying members of the Junior League or the Civic League or their mothers. Number two, number two, 
do your wife a favor and familiarize yourself with the federal laws of Southern female fashion. There are many to remember, but they aren't all that difficult to remember. Here's one. I was taught, to, I was taught this by my wife. Females shall not heretofore wear white between Labor Day and the SEC championship. Unless it is a leap year. In which case, women are not allowed to wear chevron print, flip-flops, corduroy, or exposed tattoos to members of the Rotary Club on Tuesdays. Number three. Number three. Grocery lists can be fun. Grocery lists are fun. But lists written by your southern wife will contain cryptic shorthand notes only intelligible to certain members of the Navajo and Ojibwe tribes. <laughs> Furthermore, you are a terrible supermarket shopper, and all that cheap toilet paper you bought, why, your wife couldn't sand a boat with that stuff. <laughs> In your life being married, you will never make a successful, 100% sex, successful grocery store run. Number four, at night it is permitted for a southern woman's bedside lamp to remain on while she catches up on Russian literature or Gone with the Wind or any other book containing more than 900 pages. This light will remain on for hours on end and yes, it might seem as though you're falling asleep with aircraft landing lights shined at your wispy thin eyelids. But take heart. This is just part of marriage. You can always try cussing. <laughs> Number five. Remember the good old days when you used to tell stories to your buddy and they'd die with laughter and you were just, you were at the top of your game telling your stories. Yeah. Well, well that's over now. That's over now because a southern debutante like your wife has the legal authority to question your bull hockey stories in public. <laughs> If you say anything that even smells like a tall tale, you will be called onto the carpet, a flag will be thrown on the field, and once she shuts you down, she will prove that you don't even know how to spell debutante. <laughs> Number six. Number six. You used to pick out your own clothes. Nowadays, you couldn't dress a scarecrow. You just aren't qualified. Number seven. Number seven. Always remember that your honeydew lists will be written on your tombstone and in your obituary. In fact, your mother-in-law already knows this list backwards and forwards, and so do members of the local junior league chapter and possibly members of the Rotary Club too. And there's always a stiff chance that the people in your wife's women's Bible study group are praying for you at this exact moment, Curtis. Try to remember that if you can. Number eight. When out for dinner, it is grounds for divorce to order a salad if your wife orders a steak. <laughs> I know, I know. You will, you will, you're trying to just make a healthy alternative because the doctor said your cholesterol is high. But she will think you are making a passive-aggressive statement. And she will confront you by saying... Salad? Salad? Are you trying to say that I'm a fatty? Are you trying to say that I'm a fatty? Hmm? To which there is no right answer. And it's best just to keep your mouth shut and order a steak. 
Similarly, Curtis, just as a side note, caveat to that last statement, never go to the gym together. (laughs) Number nine. Number nine. If you should ever eat peanut butter with a spoon, please wash it off. Number 10. When your southern wife asks, do I look fat? You're on dangerous, dangerous ground, Curtis. Any response, including involuntary twitches twitches of your trick eyelid, any response will be your last. So try this. Took a $5 bill into her pocket and tell her that she looks so beautiful that you have the stunning desire to wash all the dishes in your house. Just remember, revert back to rule number one. It is impossible to wash the dishes to her standards of cleaning. And that is letters from our listeners. You're going to have another tune here from Haywire Bluegrass. Till the morning, taking 
straight from the artist's brush. Colors were dancing. Heels kicking at the dust to a song no one was playing. Still they kept the This past week, South Alabama has been experiencing the most incredible weather. It's the kind of weather that would throw you back into childhood and make you believe in all things good and holy once again. The sun shines straight downward on the world, hot and and languid, and hits the, the magnolia trees and the waxy leaves reflect the sunlight right back at you when they move in the wind and it's almost like someone has dipped them in chrome so that they reflect every piece of light that ever touches them. You can drive along the Alabama highways and you can look to your right and your left, I'm talking the rural parts, and you can see fields covered in yellow. You can be driving along these old highways, uneven roads, and you can look to your right and left and it is, it is pure Amarillo, stretching all the way to the end of Christopher Columbus's known world. It is a marvelous sight to the south in the summer, especially as summer is approaching its end and children are going back to school and parents are remembering what it means to be an individual again. (laughs) It's a wonderful time to stop and find the old men who were foolish enough to be boiling peanuts on the side of the road They do this even though it is unwise because you'll notice as soon as you step out of your car during this weather, 
step out of your car to look at one of these fields covered in yellow and you are consumed instantly by heat stroke. <laughs> you fall down on the, da- the ground and you'd be dead. You are just dead. And then if you stay on the ground long enough, the sun will dehydrate the moisture from your body and you will look like a piece of Peruvian granite. This is, this is just the way it goes during this weather. It is hot. And if you are walking anywhere and your pants are not saturated in the back just behind your hind parts in the seat of your pants and it doesn't look like you have a stack of pancakes inside your pants <laughs> and you're not sweating to death, you are in another part of the world that is drier. You are probably out west somewhere. I was driving toward a wedding South Alabama. It was about 40 miles, 40 miles north of the state line. I'm driving along on these, these roads that I love, and I'm looking around at the yellow, and I'm listening to music, and I hadn't seen my friend who's getting married in a long time. I hadn't seen him in a long time. But he's a good man, and we used to be friends. I can recall one time Walking into a hardware store, we worked together on a construction job site, and I walked into the hardware store with him, and it was cold. It was cold here. It was near the Christmas season. And we saw a little group of Mexican boys standing outside the hardware store, and they were trying to drum up honest work for themselves. They'd ask the contractors who came in and out of the store things in their broken accents, and they would ask if, if they needed help or day laborers. And some of the contractors give these guys terrible, terrible looks. But not, not my friend. My friend stopped when we were walking in and he noticed that it was cold and, and, and human and cold, which is a biting kind of cold. And they were covered in plastic, clear plastic, the kind of clear plastic that you use on a job site. The hard plastic was wrapped around their bodies like makeshift coats. They were freezing. They were wearing T-shirts, and their, their, their jeans had holes in them, and they were wearing flip-flop sandals. These were boys who were not well adorned to be working in the construction field. And my friend reached into his wallet, and he gave them every dollar he had. A good man. I've lost touch with him over the years, but I went to go see him to get married because I got that invitation in the mail, and I knew, I knew that it was something that I'd like to see. He had his heart broken a long time ago when his wife left him with his three kids, and I just wanted to be there. I drove along, and I finally hit this little white chapel on the side of the road. If you blink at the wrong time while you're driving 45 miles an hour on these uneven roads, you've missed it. You've missed that chapel. It's... It's covered in white clapboards that are faded and crackling underneath the time and the age that they bear. On the top is a, is a tin roof that's a little rusted, and there's a steeple that has a bell in it. And the bell had a rope which hangs down to the vestibule. They just replaced that bell a few months ago. One of the old men in the church told me, he said they had to hide the rope because in strange parts during the service, you would all of a sudden hear the bell start ringing and a deacon would stand up in the church service and he'd run out to the vestibule and he'd see a little kid pulling on that bell and it would just be dinging and a dawn <laughs> right in the middle of the church. So they hid the rope, they wrap it up, they wrap it up and they place it underneath one of the ceiling tiles so that when it's time to ring it, one of the old men gets out the stepladder and he climbs up and he removes the ceiling tile, he pulls the rope, and the bell makes a glorious sound. I pulled up into this church. The 
cars were surrounding this little building out in the middle of nowhere. It was bumper to bumper, headlight to headlight, tire to tire. And I stepped out, and I was wearing a pair of khakis, a pair of penny loafers, and I, I took a penny into my penny loafers because my father showed me to do this a long time ago, right in that little center, center divot in the tongue. I tucked, I tucked that penny in the penny loafers, and I walked across that church lawn, and I saw several faces that I recognized. I had a tie in my pocket that I couldn't quite figure out if I was going to put it on or not. It was given to me by my cousin. It's called the Hula Girl Tie. It's a big red tie with a picture of a hula girl on it. And among the right crowd, this tie is a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> I walked into this place and I, I figured I, I didn't need to put this tie on. I had another tie in my pocket, a green and white striped tie. I was going to wear that hula girl tie as a joke to my friend, but I decided today was probably not the day. Probably not the day for a good crowd pleasing hula girl tie. I was placing that tie on while I walked in to that church, and as soon as I got up the little steps, I was given a little, a little program, and the usher greeted me. He was an old man with white hair, and I walked into the, into the little lobby gathering area, and every single person in that chapel was talking about how beautiful the chapel looked, and it did look beautiful. There were white flowers everywhere. White flowers on all the pews and draped, draped pieces of linen and sheer linen hanging from the pews. And the, the altar of God was covered in some floral arrangements that looked just sweet enough to take your breath away. And the whole chapel smelled fragrant like the smells of summer, the smells of florid things, things that you find growing out in the woods and leaves, the smell of summer sap. It was intoxicating. And this church was packed with people, the kind of people I come from, good, solid people, people who know that when you are talking about a sandwich with a tomato and a slice of white bread covered with an inch worth of Duke's mayonnaise covered with another slice of white bread, they know that this is a holy meal. These are my people. These are the people I come from. I sat in this in this chapel with him, and there was a wonderful sound of a piano playing. The bride's relatives were sitting in front of me, an older man and an older woman. She had white frilly hair. He had kind of a balding head. I got to talking to them, and they were real proud of the bride, real proud of the bride. She'd, she was a smart girl. She'd skipped the sixth grade. She was so smart and went straight into seventh grade. And then when she got to college, she had graduated college earlier than all her classmates because her class loads had been, had been more strict and more, more strenuous than other college students. They were very proud of her, very proud of her. And the, the woman said, don't my husband look good? He got this suit at the thrift store a few weeks ago. It's the only suit he's ever owned in his life. And he looked at me and he smiled. He smiled. He's a country man. I can tell it by, by the way his hands look. My father always taught me to look at people's hands. He said you can tell a lot about a man by looking at his hands. This man's hands were muscular and very well developed. The veins were like coiled snakes beneath his old skin. And his skin was tanned. 
and it was weathered like wood that had been left out in the weather too long. She said, ain't he handsome? I don't know that I'd use the word handsome, but he certainly was. He certainly was perfect to me. The music was good. The music was real good. There was a young girl with blonde, curly hair. She must have been about 13, 14 years old, sitting behind an upright piano right up in the front, in the front of the piano, and she was playing Canon in D. She was playing Ave Maria. She was playing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Come thou fount of every blessing. And when she finally sang, she sang to a small microphone, and she sang... Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Oh, it was beautiful, but when she got to the second verse, she messed up the words. (laughs) So she had to start all the way over from the first part again. And we loved it. We clapped for her. People don't normally clap during weddings, but, but we do. We clapped for her because, because we got to hear this wonderful song twice instead of just once. And her angelic voice, we got to hear it twice in a row instead of just once. There was a young child running around in the back pews. He was a young child with pure red hair. I know that he had messed his britches because I could smell it. He was a foul-smelling child. It smelled like he had eaten and digested a 10-day-old piece of roadkill squirrel. (laughs) He was running from his mother, who was also a redhead. She was chasing him. She was chasing him, and he was evading her grasp every time she'd reach her hand out to try to get him. He'd run away, and he'd laugh and giggle like they were playing a game, and she would try to smile and be cordial through grit teeth. But she was wearing the face of Satan on her face. She walked after him with a herd gait, trying very hard not to run in her nice dress. And then she she squatted down and she she threw her left arm out to try to get him. And he evaded her grasp and he laughed and he said, ha, 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 ha. And he ran toward the front, the altar of God. And he stood on the steps and he waved at the congregation. And well, we all waved back. (laughs) And we snickered a little bit because we all knew what he didn't know. We knew once his mother got hold to him, he would probably never see his next birthday. <laughs> Eventually, she did get a hold of him, and she took him to the back, and the look on that child's face was one of absolute fear. He realized he had made a grave mistake. <laughs> the music just kept rolling, kept rolling and lulling us into this time of... of Reflection In a Baptist church, a time of reflection is often accompanied by looking at the rafters. And this church was an old church built in the 1940s. The rafters had been covered up by, by asbestos ceiling tiles that ran across, ran across the sanctuary. The old, the old altar of God had been covered in green carpet, the color of lime green that went out in the 1970s. And I hope to God it never comes back. And there was paneling behind the pulpit that harkens to the 1970s. And the smell inside the room was a little bit 
mildewy, a little bit moist. We could we could tell that some water damage had been incurred in this room because I could see water spots just over the pulpit. But it was lovely. It's the kind of church that I grew up in. I looked out the windows. The windows were just paned windows, not stained glass, just paned windows. And they were cracked open because the weather was just so nice. And the window unit AC could only cool that place off so much once you had that many bodies in the room at a time. It's a church with not many members. There are a lot of people there from out of town. A lot of people there from out of town. We can, we can spot an out-of-towner. And me and the grooms, the grooms aunt and uncle were kind of pointing around the congregation. We saw that couple, we could tell they were from around the Nashville area. People from Nashville dress a certain way. Namely, the man of the couple had his hair so gelled and styled with some sort of substance on his hair, it looked like he had dipped his head in Thousand Island salad dressing and lit it on fire with a butane blowtorch. <laughs> and he had glitter jeans on. Glitter jeans. Glitter was embedded in the fabric, the denim. It was sparkling when it hit the light. And his, his wife or his girlfriend, whoever she was, had hair that was about four foot off her head. It was, it was so stiff, you could have thrown a football at it, and the football would have just bounced off. <laughs> and she was wearing some sort of dress that looked like it had sequins in it. Sequins rolled in the design of a rose on her back. They were, they were definitely, definitely not from here. Interesting, interesting people. But then there were plenty of people from this part of the world, too. You can tell them. You know what they look like. You know how they talk. You know how, how much they love weddings and small chapels. This whole chapel was ablaze with chit-chat and murmurs. They were waiting for that moment that every wedding presents to us, that moment that gives us something good to believe in. And just before the wedding music played, the Here Comes the Bride, we could hear that red-headed boy scream in the back. And we could hear the sounds of his mother. She was playing the drums on his diaper. Swat, swat. And he was screaming bloody murder. That poor child. He might never walk again. And then the young girl with the golden hair sitting up front who had sang Be Thou My Vision. She started to play that familiar chorus. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. And we all stood up. Men buttoned their jackets. And they placed their hands in their laps, standing at attention, all looking toward the back for her to walk in. And she did. She was lovely. Oh, she was lovely. She walked down that aisle and she just seemed to float. She had this glowing face. It looked as if she had won the lottery. She was glowing. And she, she made her way down the aisle and her kids were standing on stage waiting for her. And there was her groom, my friend. He'd never looked so good. And his children stood with him. Six children stood on that stage and they watched their parents 
They watched their parents stand next to each other. And when the preacher said, who gives this woman away? It was her son, a 10-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy with brown hair that's just a little bit tousled. And he had, he had a strong face. His jaw was held tight, and he shook the groom's hand. I do, he told the preacher. I give my mother away. Well, we thought we were doing all right. We thought we were doing all right. We in the audience, we've been to enough weddings to know that it's important to hold your tears in. After, after the children recited their vows to each other, there would be step-siblings. After they recited their vows to each other, there was not a dry eye in the entire chapel. The eldest daughter of the, of the bride said, we will love you like our own blood, and we will fight hard for you, not against you and not with you. We will fight for you. And you could hear a chorus of sniffles in that audience. In fact, the bride's aunt turned around. She was sitting in the pew ahead of me, and she handed me a handkerchief. <laughs> and then the bride read vows to her stepchildren, her future stepchildren, she said, she said, I will be your mother if you will let me. And I will hold you when you need me. And I will sing to you. And I will kiss you. And I will be everything you will let me be. Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. After the vows were over, I watched two broken people who had had two failed relationships stand on, a, on an altar before a preacher and say vows our parents have been saying ever since, ever since America became a nation. For richer, for poor, for better, for worse, till death do us part. And we applauded. We all applauded. We hollered. Because by God, that's something to holler and applaud about. Although I do swear to God, and you'll have to believe me on this, the person, the joker in the crowd, the congregation of God, who hollered, roll tide. <laughs> that wasn't me. Reception was incredible. It was impressive. You walked back into the old fellowship hall, a place that smells a little bit more like mildew than the sanctuary, a place with a piano in the corner and a drinking fountain way in the back and two little bathrooms, one for the men, one for the women. And there was a whole buffet line of fried chicken made by church ladies and squash casserole made by the, the mothers of the bride and the groom. And there was fried okra and there was potato salad and there was everything you could want. And then there was a wonderful moment when the string band she had hired, a fiddle and a guitar and a string bass, a doghouse bass. They were playing a song. And the granny of the bride took the dance floor and she lifted up the hem of her skirt just above the knees and she started to buck dance, kicking her heels on the floor, making a rhythm that sounded like ancient history. And I would have gotten out there and danced with that old woman if the father of the bride had not been handing out water bottles that were absolutely not filled with water at all, but they were filled with what appeared to be kerosene. 
He handed me a little water bottle like he was handing the water bottles to all the young men. And he said, here you go, son. Here you go. It'll put hair on your back. And after the celebration was over, after the celebration was over, I felt sorry that all I had brought them was a stainless steel salad bowl that she had registered for at Target. And I decided I just wanted to at least shake their hand. I I went up and I found my friend. He was grinning, big grin. I shook his hand and we hugged and I could feel just, just how human he was beneath my arms. When you hug a person, you're feeling their rib cage, and their rib cage houses all their vital organs, and that is everything that keeps them going, and you can feel it underneath your arms. You can feel the frailty of a human body. A rib cage really isn't that strong, and bones really aren't that unbreakable, and life beats you up and somehow you just have to keep waking up every morning and living. And I said, congratulations, because anything else would have been absolutely too much to say. And his eyes were just glowing, a little bit pink on the edges as if he'd been crying. He said, thank you. Thank you. And then I went and I congratulated the bride. I gave her a hug. She's radiant. She's radiant, beautiful. She smelled beautiful. Her hair was perfect. The dress was simple, a simple dress, but a beautiful one. She said, thank you for coming today. I don't, I, don't, I don't know you, but maybe one day I'll get to know you a little better. And I walked away, and I wish I would have said something to that bride that I didn't say. I wish I would have said, thank you. Thank you for giving me something to believe in. Thank you for walking down that aisle and giving me something good to believe in for once because that's what, I, that's what I see when I see a bride join herself to a man in holy matrimony. So, Aaron and Todd, may you live a long, long, long life together. May you never let the sun go down on your anger. May you always wake up next to each other and be glad about it. May you see each other approach old age with smiles on your faces and bitterness miles and miles away from you. That's what I pray for you. Thank you for giving me something good to believe in. And I will, I will continue to wish the best for you. But more importantly, I pray for that little red-headed child because his mother is about to wear his little hind parts out. (laughs) That's all for me. Thanks for having me tonight. It's been a good pleasure. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. Been your host today, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a bonafide pleasure if I do say so myself. Hope you join us next week and the week after that if you ain't got nothing going on. The music you heard behind me today was Hey Wire Bluegrass Band. Gary Hatch, David Goodnight, Jenny Lynn, Britt Pounds, and David Wilson on the mandolin. These guys are all candidates for the best player of the year, in my opinion. They got their music on iTunes and any other platform you can think of. Visit their website, heywirebluegrassband.com, and purchase one of their CDs or t-shirts to show some of your love to some good musicians. If 
find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouthshow.com. While you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line. I love to hear from my friends. Tell me about your birthday announcements, your wedding invitations, or give me a recipe for mashed potato casserole with cornflakes sprinkled on top and cherry cheese sprinkled on top of that. Because I love to hear from my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, chew your food a hundred times before you swallow. Make sure you laugh at least ten times every hour. And that's advice to live by. Adios. Thank you.